A couple of weeks ago, a member of our church came up to me in the lobby after the service and we had a conversation that went something like this. And she said, this series on the Sermon on the Mount is rather interesting. I'm getting a lot out of it. And I said, well, I'm so glad that you're enjoying it. To which she replied, I didn't say I was enjoying it. (laughs) And I appreciated her honesty because it actually reflected my own feelings. The fact is, the Sermon on the Mount is interesting and we should get a lot out of it, but it's not necessarily enjoyable. It's not a sermon that makes us comfortable. Because in this sermon, Jesus challenges our values. He challenges us to examine our values against the values of the kingdom of God. And that should make us uncomfortable at times. And yet, as we work our way through this message, we need to remember that Jesus' goal is not to beat us down, but to lift us up. The people to whom he was speaking, that multitude there on the mountain, they were people who were wilting under the burden of trying to follow 613 religious laws imposed upon them by their spiritual teachers. Nobody could do that. And Jesus wants to set people free from the burden of that kind of lifestyle. He wants people not to follow religious rules, but to follow him. And this sermon that he presents is designed to help everyone learn from Jesus and to embrace the values of Jesus and the kingdom of God and then live them out. This sermon is an invitation into an adventurous life, the life of a disciple of Jesus. And that life is always interesting, but it's not always comfortable or easy. And in the part of the sermon that we're going to explore this morning, Jesus once again is going to address an issue that will challenge our comfort because he's going to talk about money. And that is a topic that's guaranteed to push all of our buttons. But his goal is not to simply make us uncomfortable. His goal is to set us free from the anxiety of materialism. He's challenging us to think about what we truly treasure. So let's take a look and see what we can learn from Jesus this morning in Matthew chapter 6, starting in verse 19. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moths and vermin do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Now, first century Israel was a society which deeply believed that prosperity, material prosperity, was a direct sign of God's blessing. They believed that if you were poor, there must be something wrong with you. You must have sinned. Or at least you must not be living a righteous enough life and God is withholding his blessing from you. 
And for those reasons, people not only looked down on the poor, they spent a lot of time focused on and worrying about how to acquire money and possessions for themselves. Earlier in the sermon, Jesus talked about the importance of giving financially to needy people. And now, here, he directly tackles the issue of money. And when he talks about earthly treasure, he's talking about the things that money can buy. Possessions, experiences, security. And earthly treasure, it has a lure. It appeals to us because, because the rewards are almost always immediate and it appeals to our senses. We can use money to buy new things and enjoy a meal out, to take a vacation, to put away some money for the future. That's all enjoyable and satisfying. And is Jesus telling us, don't do those things? No, that's not what he's saying. He's challenging us to reorient our thinking because those earthly treasures don't last. All of those things can be used up. They wear out. They can be stolen. And Jesus describes that using an agricultural image that would be familiar to his audience. He talks about moths and vermin. These are pests that would come in and eat up the, the grain that you've stored for future use. And just as those pests can eat away your grain, money can be lost, can be stolen. We can lose it in a bad investment or a stock market crash. The fact is, money is temporary and it may not always be there to enjoy. So Jesus wants us to know that earthly treasure, the material wealth of this world, never should occupy first place in our hearts because it does not last. Instead, he wants us to embrace heavenly treasure. And he says that heavenly treasure has a higher value because it has eternal value. And so if Jesus is saying, heavenly treasure is where I want you to put your time and your effort, that's where I want your heart to be, then we must define what it is. What exactly does it mean to invest in heavenly treasure? Well, I've often heard it said that this means we need to give more money to the church or to Christian causes. Now, it's true that investing money in ministry is one way that we can direct finances from earthly treasure to heavenly treasure. However, if we define heavenly treasure that way, I believe we limit it and I believe that we miss the larger point that Jesus is trying to make. He's very precise here. He's telling us that there is a distinct contrast between earthly things that have a limited time span and heavenly things that last forever. That's the key. Heavenly treasure lasts forever. And therefore, we have to ask, well, what is it that actually lasts forever? Nothing we own lasts forever. Not even the creation as we know it will last forever. Because the Bible says that one day God is going to make a new heaven and a new earth. There's only one thing the Bible says that will last forever. 
and that's people. All human beings, the creatures that God made in his very own image, all people have an eternal destiny. And therefore, heavenly treasure, treasure that lasts forever, is built around people. A number of years ago, author Tony Campolo wrote a book called Who Switched the Price Tags? And he says, there should be a price tag on everything that we buy. On our cars, our homes, our experiences, our savings account. And that price tag should say, this will burn. And on every human being, there should be embossed this price tag which says, lasts forever. Jesus is saying to his listeners, you got to check your heart. Look at how you invest your money because that's where your heart is. Are you investing in things? Are you investing in experiences? Or are you investing in people? Because people are God's heavenly treasure. And so as Jesus dives into this topic of money, he's challenging his audience. He's challenging us to engage in some self-evaluation so that we can shift our focus from temporary investments to eternal investments. And the first step is to check our hearts to see what we treasure. But there's more that he wants us to do in this process of self-examination. Next, he says, we need to check our vision. Look what he says in verse 22. The eye of the lamp is the body. Excuse me, the eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? Now, I don't know how that passage strikes you, but I vividly remember reading this for the first time a number of years ago. And after I read those two verses, I remember saying out loud, Jesus, what in the world are you talking about? You just talked about what's in our hearts. You were talking about heavenly treasure, and, and now you're talking about eyes and darkness. How do those things even connect? I'm confused. So I did what I always do whenever I'm struggling to make sense out of something in the Bible. I prayed for some wisdom and discernment. And then I hunted up a Bible encyclopedia and I found out something significant. I learned that in the first century, people viewed the eyes as the window into the heart. And so Jesus is saying that when you check your heart, you also need to check your eyes. Now, now not literally, of course. He's speaking metaphorically. What he's saying is how we see the world. What we choose to see when we look at the world reveals a whole lot about what's in our heart. And eyes that look on the world in healthy ways reflect a person whose heart is full of light and life. And eyes that look on the world in unhealthy ways reflect a person whose heart is full of darkness. Our vision of the world around us reflects a great deal about what we treasure in our heart. And so this metaphor, which at first I found profoundly confusing, actually makes great sense. And it makes even greater sense when we understand that in the original Greek text, there's some nuances going on. 
The word for healthy implies generous, and the word for unhealthy implies stingy. And I find it fascinating that as Jesus is preaching and teaching about money, he's deliberately picked some words with layers of meaning to enhance our understanding about the influence and effect of money. And I believe what he's saying is this, that people with unhealthy, stingy eyes look at the world selfishly. Such people prefer to cling tightly to their stuff because they value things more than people. And they, they unfortunately live in some spiritual darkness because they do not view human beings as heavenly treasure. And they fail to see the beauty of generosity toward men and women who are made in the image of God. And conversely, people who look at the world with healthy, generous eyes are full of light because they're not bound to their stuff. And they value what God values. So they value people more than success. They value people more than things. And because they have hearts that are inclined toward generosity, they want to use whatever treasure they may have to make a difference in the lives of other people. And so this is a profound metaphor with great insights. And Jesus is saying that if we want to know what's really in our hearts, then we need to check our vision. But that's not all he wants us to do in this process of self-examination. He also wants us to check our trust. He talks about that in verse 24. No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. You see, ultimately, what we treasure is shaped by what or who we trust. And Jesus says here it's a very stark choice. We either can serve money as our master or we can serve God as our master, not both. And we need to be clear what Jesus is not saying. He's not saying that possessions are bad. He's not telling us that it's wrong to own things and enjoy the use of them. I've often heard people say that money is the root of all evil, and that is a horrible misquote of the Bible. 1 Timothy 6.10 tells us that the love of money is the root of all evil. Money itself isn't the problem. It's what we do with it. And Jesus is warning us here. He wants to protect his followers from a great danger, the danger of replacing our faith with God and putting our faith in our assets. That is not a healthy place to be for someone who wants to follow Jesus Christ. I think of the man in our last church who was a chemistry teacher in one of the local high schools. He'd been at it about 20 years, and he was burned out. And he told me, I have no passion for teaching anymore. I hate going to school. I know I'm not doing the kids any good, because I'm just going through the motions. And I said to him, 
why, why don't you pray and ask God to open up a door of opportunity so that you can do something different and be able to invest yourself in a job that has meaning and purpose? And he said, you don't understand. I make a good salary after 20 years. I have a great benefits package. And I'm building a very nice retirement. I can't afford the risk of making a change. When he said that, it broke my heart. You see, financial security had become his master. Now, I understand all too well the risks of making some kind of mid-course correction in life. And that process can be scary. But if he would have been willing to do that, it also could have been the greatest adventure of faith he'd ever had in his life. And he missed out. You know, see, these words from Jesus challenge us to our depths. Is our security in God? Or is our security in our finances? And so Jesus is saying to that crowd listening to him, I want you to check your hearts and check your vision and check your trust because that's going to reveal a great deal about what you treasure. It's going to reveal your values and it's going to tell you whether your values come from this world or from the kingdom of God. And Jesus says all of this to lay a foundation for what comes next. Because what he wants to do next is talk about how we are affected when we focus on the pursuit of earthly treasure. And he's going to say that when we pursue earthly treasure, if we do that, we'll clearly see the results based on the priorities we choose. So he says, check your priorities. That will tell you a lot about your treasure. Look at verse 25. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, <clears throat> what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food, and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or stow away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow. They don't labor or spin, yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today, and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? Jesus wants us to know that if we pursue the wrong kind of treasure, then we actually make life worse for ourselves and the people around us. You see, when we trust, when we trust our stuff more than we trust God, when our focus is consumed by our own wants and needs, all we do is make ourselves more and more anxious. And this has been a problem throughout human history, and it's a problem that is intensified in modern Western culture. We are one of the most affluent societies in the history of the world. 
and we have money and conveniences and physical comforts and recreational opportunities that most people throughout human history never could even, even have dreamed about. And we invent things and then we buy those things to improve the quality of our lives. And does it help? It just makes us more and more anxious and worried. It's ironic, actually, that all of our stuff and all of our experiences, all designed to make us more secure or more comfortable or more relaxed, all this is produced is the exact opposite result. Affluence has led to anxiety. And our materially pampered culture is one of the most anxious societies in the history of the world. And we are so anxious that we even are anxious about our rest and our recreation. I like to read Austin Meek. He's a sports columnist in the Register Guard. And he actually wrote about this issue in one of his columns last week. Here's what he said. I'm looking out the window at a perfect blue sky. 82 degrees for what seems like the 17th day in a row. A gentle breeze whispering blissfully through the trees. There are no track meets to cover. College football is still six weeks away. This is the peak of Oregon summer, a time of leisure and frivolity, and all of this relaxation is starting to stress me out. <laughs> this strikes me as a distinctly modern first world problem. The settlers on the Oregon Trail faced many afflictions, but an abundance of free time was not among them. Their idea of leisure was going to sleep and not being eaten by wolves. Yet now we've invented every conceivable antidote for boredom. And we have no idea what to do with unoccupied time. It's pretty profound, actually. And when I read those words, it reminded me that we have this amazing ability to become anxious about just about anything. Austin Meek is anxious and stressed about his relaxation. Every weekend, I can get stressed about whether or not I'll have something intelligent to say to you on Sunday morning. And all of us, at times, can become very anxious about money and financial security. It's no surprise then, as Jesus talks about money, that he mentions worry multiple times in this passage. But the fact is this, when it comes to money, worry is the natural result of a heart that treasures the wrong things. It's the natural result of a vision that looks at the world through stingy eyes. It's the natural result of a trust that is based on things rather than on God. Now we understand it's natural at times to feel worried. We can have legitimate reasons for concern and anxiety and yet we have to wrestle seriously with what Jesus says. He says, even if we feel at risk, even if we're worried about basic things like food and clothing and shelter, he says, that worry is a sign of your lack of faith. And so here's what I take away from that. Whenever we feel anxious about our circumstances, we need to bring those worries to God and ask him for wisdom. And we need to trust that God will, in fact, meet our needs. 
Jesus says here that God is going to take care of the plants and the animals. And so we ought to trust that he's going to take care of us. He's promised to meet the needs of valuable men and women, people made in his image, the only creatures who will last forever. But here's where the rubber meets the road. Jesus promises it. And do we actually believe it? That's where trust comes in. And that's why Jesus wants us to check our priorities. He doesn't want our needs to consume us and not, he doesn't want them to drive us to anxiety. When we have needs, he wants those needs to motivate us to pursue God and trust in him first and foremost. And that's the ultimate focus of this part of the message. Look to God, trust in him. Let him be our primary focus. And that message is so important, Jesus is going to reiterate it and drive it home in the final comments that we look at, starting in verse 31. So do not worry, there it is again. Do not worry, Jesus says, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. Key line, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Jesus wraps up this part of the sermon by pointing to the pagans as a particularly bad example when it comes to materialism. And those people are doing far more than just searching for money and possessions. They are running headlong after the security of material stuff. And in this regard, our modern world is incredibly pagan. Our culture aggressively promotes the worship of of things. And Jesus is urging us to follow a different path. Instead of mindlessly pursuing that which the culture chases, Jesus urges us to pursue the righteousness of God and of God's kingdom. And the kingdom of God is a kingdom of people, not a kingdom of things. And this brings us back full circle to the very first point that Jesus made. Heavenly treasure is built around people. It's focused on people. And Jesus wants the kingdom of God to be full of people who hunger and thirst for righteousness more than hunger and thirst for food and drink. He wants his kingdom to be full of people who are hungry and thirsty to bring about God's kingdom in this life so that more people will be with us in the next life because only human beings have an eternal destiny and we have a chance to influence that in every person who crosses our path. And so when we value what God values, when we want to see God's kingdom come and his will be done on earth as it is in heaven as he taught us to pray, that's when we will invest in heavenly treasure and we'll be so willing to give generously to people in need. We'll want to give to the church. We'll want to support missionaries and we will want to do so much more than that. We'll do things like spend money to invite a neighbor over for dinner so we can build a relationship. 
and hopefully have a chance to share with them the love of Jesus Christ and make a difference in their eternal destiny. When we do something like that, we're investing in heavenly treasure. And when we shift our focus from earthly treasure to heavenly treasure, I believe that God will show us all kinds of ways that we can use what we have, whether it's a little or a lot, to touch the lives of people who cross our path. When we make that shift, we will value what God values, which means we will value who God and people matter to God. You know, from time to time, as I share the scriptures with you, I share stories about my own life. Sometimes I share about areas where I've messed up, areas of struggle and even failure. And sometimes I share about areas where I managed to get it right. I'm always a little hesitant to share those kinds of stories because I don't want people to think I'm holding myself up as some kind of spiritual giant, because I'm not. But when it comes to the area of finances, it's an area of life where I manage to get it right more often than not. And over the course of our marriage, my wife Julie and I have tried very hard to invest in heavenly treasure far more than earthly treasure. And we regularly pray about how and where we can invest in people more than in things. And we pray and ask God to deepen our trust in Him so that we trust Him more than we trust our assets. And that's not always easy. But it's always an adventure. As many of you know, Julie and I both served on the ministry staff of a church in Southern California for many years. And we were liked, and we were respected, and we were trusted, and we easily could have stayed there. And in addition, we had lived in the same home for 27 years. So we had a very tiny mortgage at a very low interest rate, and it was almost paid off. And over the years, we'd actually even managed to start putting away some money for retirement. In other words, we were feeling pretty secure. We were secure in our jobs, and we were increasingly financially secure. And then God showed up. And in the middle of a recession, a recession, God made it very clear that he wanted us to voluntarily resign our positions, to take some time off, and to wait on him for the next step in our lives to become clear. And so we had to live off funds that we had earmarked for retirement. And obviously God had earmarked those funds for other things. And we entered into this time of waiting not knowing how long it would be. It lasted 15 months. And after 15 months and after burning through a lot of money, God made it very clear that the next step was to come here to Garden Way Church, to step into life and ministry here with you and among you, to invest our lives here by serving you, by serving with you, and then together by serving this community around us and trying to touch people for Jesus. Now financially, it means I got a much bigger mortgage at a much higher interest rate. And the money I put away for retirement now is a whole lot less. You see, what we've done is not advice you'd ever get from a certified financial advisor. 
it makes no sense from an earthly perspective. It only makes sense from a kingdom perspective. Because from a kingdom perspective, people always matter more than money. And God has made it clear, this, this is where we are to be, to invest in people. And along with you, together, we get to invest in the people around us. Now, when I've told this story, people have said, well, through that process, weren't you ever tempted to worry? And I say, of course. <laughs> During that season of waiting, when I had no idea how long it was going to go on, I can't tell you how many nights I woke up in a cold sweat, wondering if the money was going to run out before God showed us the next step. But every time I worried, it drove me to prayer because that's what God wants us to do is to choose to trust and not let ourselves become buried by worry. And what Julie and I have learned and what we continue to learn is that worry solves nothing. And so the advice that Jesus gives here to each of us is profound. Instead of being anxious about money, instead of worrying about financial security, Jesus says, seek first the kingdom of God. Seek first God's righteousness. Invest in heavenly treasure. Make that your priority. And leave the rest up to our loving Heavenly Father.